Hello everyone, Dr. Anna Kabeca here, and today we're gonna to dive deep into pelvic health, urogynecologic health, and that's talking about our bladder, issues of incontinence, issues of pelvic pain that women really struggle with, and it's almost something we don't even wanna talk about, so women power through unnecessarily. We're also gonna to touch on the surgeries um, that have been used over, uh, the new and, and older surgeries that have been used over the past decade to help with bladder repair and um, incontinence procedures and what the latest in this area is right now, what we're seeing the trend towards. Of course, we'll talk about some hormonal therapies that help with these issues as well. And to do this today, I am bringing a colleague from, um, gosh, well, actually a pioneer in urogynecology, and she is the first board-certified urogynecologist, female urogynecologist in the nation. So super excited to bring Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, who comes to us from New Jersey today, and she will be talking with us. And what's really fascinating, I love Betsy because I met her, we were both lecturing for the American College of Osteopathic Obstetrician and Gynecologist, oh, it's a few years ago now, <laughs> and I just loved her. She just teaches with a passion. You can see how passionate she is about women's health and empowering other physicians to really go deeper into this area that is a troublesome area for so many physicians and patients, needless to say. So Dr. Greenleaf, it is great to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. It's yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your background, what drove you into your gynecology and, um, and where you are now. Well, I was always interested in women's health, and during my training, I actually took a little bit of a long road because I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do, but um, I actually started out in general surgery, and I found out the general surgeons are wonderful, and, and I respect what they do. I kind of lost that personal connection and interaction with patients. It was kind of like, you know, you had your gallbladder off, out, and then see you later. It wasn't like I could talk to them about like, how do you feel about having your gallbladder out? So there wasn't as much of a relationship. So I, I did that. And then I switched to OBGYN, which I really liked because of the fact that you had developed more of a relationship with your patients and you were seeing them over and over again. You got to see them grow from, you know, the time they were getting their first pap to the time they're having their first baby to then, you know, on, on and on. Um, but I was always really focused and more drawn to the surgical aspect. And it wasn't until my very last rotation on residency that I found out that urogynecology existed. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is what I want to do because it combined general surgery, it combined urology, which I had always been interested in, and it combined the gynecology. So I got everything all in one. So I was lucky enough to get into a fellowship and do that. And, you know, so I get a little bit of the surgical aspects. I get the, the female health, I get the sexual health, I get the pelvic health, I get the long-term relationships with the patients. So it's a nice combination. So um, it, is a, it is a pretty new specialty in the whole, um, you know, range of medicine in that it really didn't exist until the 1970s. And even then, like we were saying with the board certification, board certification in our field didn't even exist until the last few years. So, um, and for patients who are looking for a urogynecologist, there's only 1,200 in the country at this time. Mm. So if you're lucky to live in a metropolitan area, you're more likely to find one. But um, unfortunately, in some of the middle states, there, there really is more 
more of a need. And especially as our population is, is aging, a lot of these incontinence issues tend to, they can show up at any age, but they tend to increase as people get older. And so there's a real, there's a, a very big underserved need of, of patients with these problems. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, one of the things is I, I find that women just you know, especially with incontinence, you know, and when we talk about incontinence, we're talking about leaking urine. Um, people think, oh, it's because I had babies. Oh, this is normal. You know, and I try to tell people just because it's very common doesn't mean that it's something you have to live with, that there are so many different uh, things that can be done about it. And this field is changing and progressing so quickly that, you know, the the procedures I was doing five years ago are now obsolete. You know, there's something new coming out tomorrow and the next day. Um, so there's really, there's a lot of research that's going into this and there's a lot of great opportunities. And, you know, as we bring awareness, you know, it becomes, um, you know, more, you know, patients are becoming more aware of it and realize that they don't have to live this way. Right. You know, pads are expensive. You know, and not environmentally you know, friendly. <laughs> no, and they cause irritation and they can lead to chronic urinary tract infections. And, you know, especially if you're on a fixed budget, they're, they're not they're not cheap and insurance doesn't pay for them. So, you know, why live with that? Um, I've had patients so sad. I've had patients who won't leave their house because they leak. You know, I had a little woman, so cute, she, uh, 82 years old. She hasn't been out of her house in five years. She says she misses family events. She's missed weddings, baptisms, um, because she's embarrassed to leave the house because she doesn't know when or if she's going to leak, and even the pads won't hold it back. So she's housebound, and she doesn't need to be. So, you know, there are so many wonderful things that can be done about this now, and that you don't need to live with it. So, and you can yeah. even have, like you talked about incontinence postpartum, right? Incontinence yeah. in our thirties, forties and fifties. And yeah. you're like, okay, that's going to limit what activities I choose to do. And yeah. that just sets you down a path. You don't want to go down yeah. because then you're not getting all the other benefits that need to be had. So let's talk about the types of incontinence and then we'll touch on pelvic pain too. Sure. Sure. So uh, the two, there's a number of different types of incontinence, but the two main ones that people have are either urge incontinence or stress incontinence. So urge incontinence is when you have to like run to the bathroom. You can't hold it in. You got to go. There's this urgency to get to the bathroom. Um, it can start as early in your 20s, but they actually have done uh, research that find that by time you're in your 70s, there are more people walking around at any given time with urge incontinence than has the common cold. So it's that, it's that common. So, you know, you look around and you, if you're 70 or older, majority of people are going to have this problem. Um, so we'll, I'll, I'll go into urge incontinence first and then we'll do stress because okay, urge, is, urge is a little bit more, um, slightly a little bit more complicated because we don't exactly know why it happens. It is some sort of nerve irritation. And the problem is when we say some sort is it can be anywhere along the urinary tract. So the process is that the nerves are, are causing the bladder to spasm and push the urine out without you, 
without you telling that you have to go to the bathroom. So that could be coming from irritation in the lining of the bladder or the, or the urethra. It could be triggered by infections. It could be triggered by growths or cancers. It can be triggered by any kind of inflammation of the bladder. If it's not in that area, it could be related to pelvic nerve irritation, sometimes um, injury to the nerves during childbirth um, or other types of pelvic nerve irritation or injury. It could be related to your back. So, because those nerves go from your bladder to your pelvis, to your back, to your brain. So it could be related to something in the back. And as we get older, a lot of us develop herniated discs. It's just a natural process. We probably weren't meant to be evolutionarily upright as long as, you know, we are and we're living longer. So people start herniating discs and those discs can be pushing on the nerves that can affect the bladder. And then it could be related things to the brain. Diabetes can affect the brain, um, strokes, multiple sclerosis. And so the problem is, it was a little frustrating for patients, is they want to know why it's happening and can we fix the why. The problem is we can't usually tell why it's happening, so we can't fix the why, but there's a lot of different treatments to fix the actual symptoms or to cut down on the symptoms. Um, so the, the options, sometimes it can be just as easy as, um, as, you know, I guess people are trained that if they have to go to the bathroom, that it's bad to hold it in, but it's not. As long as you're drinking enough fluids and flushing your bladder, holding it in is a good thing. Because if you start giving into your bladder too much and you're running to the bathroom every single time you got to go, you're going to naturally start shrinking the size of your bladder. So it won't be able to hold that much. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this self-perpetuating issue. Um, the other thing that people do is that they purposely don't drink fluids because they're like, oh, I'm leaking. If I just don't drink, then I won't have to go. Where the opposite happens is that when you don't drink, you make your urine more concentrated. And it's more concentrated, it's actually more irritating to the lining mm -hmm. of the bladder and then can trigger more, <laughs> more urgency. So mm -hmm. the key is finding a balance with, you, I tell people drink enough that your urine's clear. Because you know, people ask point. a gallon. Everybody's different. If you you know, first thing in the morning, the urine's going to be dark. It always is because you haven't been drinking fluids all night. But as the day goes on, if you're drinking enough urine, uh, I mean, fluids, water. Urine, <laughs> yeah, water. The fluids that your urine is clear, then that's enough. And then when you have to go, it's tough. You want to try this at home in, until your bladder gets used to it. But force yourself to hold it in. And so you know, if you get that urge, see if you can like hold it in. A lot of times it may be just a bladder spasm and then see if you can let that bladder spasm subside. And then if you still feel full, then you go to the bathroom so that you're, it's called bladder training. So yes. you're trying to retrain the bladder so that you're running your bladder and that your bladder's not running you. And so, you know, it's going to revolt, you know, you're going to get leakage and, and accidents, but constant practice, you'll be able to hold more and more and more. Um, I'm sure in your practice, you've at, uh, at points you've seen teachers and nurses have the huge bladders, bladder, exactly giant bladder capacities. Doctors, they hold, right? They can hold easily like a liter of fluid in there, and you think of a two-liter bottle of soda, they're holding at least you know at least a half of that because over the years they've been forced to hold it in because they can't go to the bathroom whenever they want to. They can't leave their patients or leave their students. So they have very large bladder capacity. So I, you know, usually try to tell people you can train that. 
Yeah, um, that's a great point. And I think really also initially, you know, this when I as a OBGYN, right, training early on, my daughter, who's now 21, was six years old, and she came to me, you'll love the story, Betsy. She's like, Mom, I need D-E-T-R-O-L-L-A. <laughs> she was six years old. So uh, she, what she's asking for, for our audience, is Detrol LA, which is a, a treatment, a pill for urinary urgency incontinence symptoms, because she saw this commercial on TV. This is why we shut off commercials after that one. But this, she was watching this you know, uh, brainwashing commercial on TV, and her symptoms, urgency, running to the bathroom. And I had noticed it, but we didn't really address it. She didn't talk about it. She knew she had these symptoms and they were spelled out for her. And her yeah. solution was in this pill, right? And I was like, oh, 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 oh no, <laughs> we are not taking a pill for that, right? And so we just stopped caffeine and like, and you know, it's yeah. like in anything in, in tea, because we're in the South, so tea is a biggie. Tea, sugar, you know, sweet tea. That's oh, a sure. that's a huge irritate, you know, irritant plus the, the sugar and the caffeine. Two huge irritants. Food colorings, food dyes, gluten yeah. and dairy sensitivities. All of those can be irritating to the bladder. So yeah. learning that's where I got thrown into functional medicine because of because of my daughter. So 2002, I really started looking, okay, what are some other issues? And also the ADHD symptoms. I'm like, okay, we oh, yeah. eliminated those things. And that really um, helped. So too, and I think it's important to know that if we're having those urgency symptoms, that dietary management is so oh, good for lifestyle. I too, I agree. That, that's such a great point. And, and that's the thing. And the bladder and training, so important. Uh, and that's, you know, with the diet, definitely there are sugar. I mean, you can speak more on this with the functional training, but sugar is probably one of our no, number one inflammatory producing product. So not only can it affect the bladder, but it can cause so much havoc in the body that, um, that, you know, it can really cause um, uh, so many other inflammatory conditions. I actually, the other day, it was interesting. I don't know how I came across it. I was reading a, um, a study, and they studied women who drink soda, sugar, sugar sodas, and they were testing their inflammatory levels. And women who drink soda regularly, their blood inflammatory levels were so much higher than somebody who doesn't drink sugar and, and the things that all the other medical conditions that that can cause. Um, and then for the bladder, you were saying caffeine. Um, and some people like citrus fruits and tomatoes can cause uh, overactive bladder. Um, there are some really great resources on the uh, internet for um, diets to help with bladder problems. And it's just basically avoiding foods that cause inflammation. So, I mean, if you can, almost any anti-inflammatory diet can help with that. Mm, so, good. yeah. So, so, so it's like we were talking about the bladder retraining, you know, another thing, sometimes people find it hard to do that is you can do something called timed voids yeah. where if you're somebody, let's just say you go every half hour where you're, whether you need to or not, because you're getting that urgency, you kind of figure out what your time is. So we're going to use half hour as an example. You would kind of back it up and it's, it's a pain in the butt, but you know, you practice it and you get better. So you would make yourself go every 15 minutes. 
you just back it up by 15 minutes and you do that for a couple of days and then you add 15 minutes to your routine. So then, you know, you know, after maybe three days, now you're going, you make yourself go every half an hour and you keep adding 15 minutes to that schedule and it's a slower stretching of the bladder. So that eventually you get to the point where you're going every two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're drinking enough fluids eight times in a day is considered normal. A lot of people come in with complaints of urgency and frequency, and then when we actually get them to write down a little diary, we realize that they are going the normal amounts. Um, and that's something, too, is being mindful of what you're doing is, is keeping a little diary. Write down mm-hmm. what you're drinking, when you're drinking, how much you're drinking, and then when are you going to the bathroom? When are you leaking? And sometimes looking at that makes you more mindful of what's going on, and they've actually seen people improvement in urinary symptoms with just doing that. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more because seeing that on paper, right? It, we always say yeah. what gets measured gets managed. So looking and saying, well, if you're leaking, but you've only used the bathroom twice that day, probably yeah. you could use it a little bit more and let's work on those. So let's talk about, exactly. in, so with retraining, with urgency and continence, you're going to do some bladder retraining and time voiding, avoiding again, foods, et cetera, that are, and drinks yeah. that are stimulants. And now what are some current modalities that are being recommended yeah, outside so- of that? So, uh, so other than those kind of, um, you know, basic things that you can do at home, if, if those aren't working and your Kegel exercises, strengthening your pelvic floor muscles, if that's not working, then your options are medications. That mm-hmm. usually tends to be the first line. Um, you know, sometimes I would like to jump to some of the other things, but I'll tell you the way medicine is now and with insurance running things, you, you, you have to play the insurance game. So there are like set steps on what you can do next. So um, usually there's medications and there's about like eight different medicines on the market now. One category is something called anticholinergics. And we see the commercials, we've got the Detrol LA, there's the Ditropan, there's uh, Vesicare, there's Sanctura, Enablex. They're in a category all themselves. And they prevent um, urge incontinence by preventing the bladder from spasming. With them, there are some unfortunate side effects that some people get. They can have dry mouth, constipation. Um, You know, patients, I understand that these medicines are not cheap, and a lot of people want to go for the generic, which the generic is Ditropan. I personally don't like that medicine. It's an old medicine. It has the ability to cross into your brain. And because of that, especially in elderly patient, it has a higher risk of confusion. Yeah. I um, saw that too in my practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I really don't like it. I know everyone wants it because it's the cheaper one, but you know, if you're getting confused, we had one lady who was on it and she ended up driving down the like wrong way on a highway because she got confused. Luckily it was not one of my patients, but still it was bad enough. It was like one of my partners. Yeah. That's how eye opening situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't, especially you don't need to be confused. So yeah avoid that medicine and, and you know surprisingly that's the one that's come out in the over-the-counter patch and I was actually shocked that they approved that as an over-counter product there's a, a oxytrol now um, it's a patch you can get it out over the counter um, the only good news with it is it tends to have less side effects and less as a patch than, than the pill mm-hmm. but even then it's not my go-to yeah um, there's a newer medicine that's probably come out probably in the last five years it's called Mirbetric. 
also works for overactive bladder in a different way. So where the other medicines prevent the bladder from spasming, Mirbetric allows the bladder to relax. Mm. And it actually tends to work a little bit better. It has very few side effects. Um, the downside is because it's newer, it tends to be more expensive and insurance companies tend not to want you to use that one first because of the cost. So they usually want you to use another one first. Um, and the way the protocols are is that you need to try at least two medicines and then you can move on to more like other therapies. Um, you know, going back to things that are, are not medicine um, that can help, that but some insurances cover and some of them don't, is sometimes acupuncture. Oh, acupuncture yeah. We use help. that a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Chiropractic. Uh, or as osteopathic manipulation. Yeah. For sure. Those things can actually, I found a lot of women um, with sacral dysfunctions, meaning that their mm -hmm. sacrum's out of alignment and those sacrum is your low, low back and the way the nerves that come down to the pelvis that can actually affect the bladder. So, okay. okay. So going back, you've tried your two medicines, they don't work. Now what are your next options? Well, your next options, what I like is there's a, a there's two companies that have a device called a percutaneous tibial nerve stimulator. Wow. And what it is, it's like a glorified acupuncture. Mm. So it's, and this one is covered by insurance, um, most insurance. Medicare definitely covers it, which is great. Um, it, there's a very tiny acupuncture um, needle that goes in your ankle. And so people are always like, well, how is that in my ankle going to affect my bladder? But, you know, Sacral nerves two, three, and four, yeah, right? Sacral nerves. Mm -hmm. So you got that percutaneous tibial nerve, which is down near your ankle, which is connected to your pelvic nerves. And so um, there are two companies, one's Medtronic and the other one's Uroplasty, and they mm -hmm. have both have their products and they've been tested and research looks great on them. I've seen great results. It has about 80% success rate. And so the... Um, so the good news is it's not invasive. The needles are so tiny. They're like a hair. You don't feel them going in. When you're hooked up to the machine, you do feel like a thumping in your leg. So like a little kind of like thumping sensation, but it's not painful. The treatments are 30 minutes once a week for 12 weeks. And then if you get good results, you have to do all 12 to see if it's going to work. Some people go four weeks and they're like, I don't see any difference. And I'm like, well, I've noticed that patients usually don't start seeing a difference until six weeks beyond. Six to eight weeks, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you do that, and then if it works, then you just come in once a month for the treatment. Nice. So I think that's so cool. We're bringing yeah. acupuncture into our you know mainstream medicine. So that's a yeah. good blend, a good way to introduce it. The other thing too is hormonal therapy. Even though we use more vaginal hormone oh, yeah. therapy, topical hormone therapy for stress incontinence, there's a place because sometimes the urgency symptoms are just the urethral irritation, bladder neck irritation, oh, sure. and that's causing those spasms. So using Jolva, for instance, yeah. right? We're oh, getting yes. great yeah. results with that. And then, you know, hormone therapy, um, even vaginal estrogen can help. Um, vaginal testosterone, DHEA can help. And so those are, those are some things to consider too when it's associated with atrophic vulvovaginitis. So oh, I think sure. that's important. So that's oh, cool to know that acupuncture... Yeah, thank you for reminding me because, you know, especially so anyone who's postmenopausal, 
you're right, the vaginal tissue gets very thin. Um, because it's thin, you get a change in the pH of the vagina. Mm -hmm. You're more susceptible to urinary tract infections. But that thinness and change in the pH and the change in the bacteria that normally lives in the vagina can all set up like a low level of inflammation that can also cause this overactive bladder or urge incontinence symptoms. And so products that will reset that and balance it were great. Um, Traditionally, we've had, you know, up until recently, traditionally, we've had hormonal products, um, hormonal creams, hormonal tablets, hormonal rings. But I mean, I totally understand. I, you know, myself, I'm postmenopausal with a mom who had breast cancer. So, the, you know, even though the, the vaginal estrogen is safe, and now, and now there's a prescription vaginal DHEA, even though they're safe. I understand that nervousness to use those products. So now we have this great product, product the Jova, which I'm very excited to use. And everything I've read about it is wonderful. Um, I'd be using it already on my patients, but we just set up a new practice. So I'm ready next week. We're going to start people on that. So I'm very happy. That's a great over-the-counter product that you don't need a prescription for. Yeah. And, so, and, and you know the pro, you know the ingredients that you have in that product Thank are you. really exciting because there hasn't been anything else out there that can work like that. No. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to your feedback. Yeah, I can't so. wait. I'll, I'll let you know, but I'm, yeah. I'm expecting good things from it, especially yeah. especially since I have so many women who have you know breast cancer who don't want to touch the hormones, and there really hasn't been any mm -hmm. options for them. Mm -hmm. So one of the newer options that can help, um, which is very cost prohibitive, or laser therapies, right? Uh, you know that's that's a procedure, and it can be a little cost prohibitive. It's not cheap, um, so you know the Jolva is a great you know great thing that people can try and use, and you know get through your your website. And so yeah, yeah. I think it's a wonderful product. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. And it's something so. people can use concomitantly. Like one of the things is, and you know, we know if surgeries inevitable using it preoperatively as well, you know, using it to just get healthier tissue to work, yeah. work with, right? The anti-aging effects. Well, let's hit on to stress urinary incontinence and some okay. things that you see in, in stress urinary incontinence. Let's talk about that because that yeah. does, that is plaguing more and more women. And, and you mentioned earlier about pads and, and having to use those pads, tampons yeah. and the toxicity, there's toxicity associated oh, with them too. Sure, Irritation, sure thinning of the urethra and, you know, the tissue of the vulva area. And that can be as a consequence to using, you know, continuing over you know, using panty liners regularly just in case. And so oh, yeah. there's a company I'll need to tell you about it called Lotus Liners and they're reusable pads. Oh, yeah. You just throw them in the wash. And yeah. so there are some things like that that are, are good, but we don't want to have to use pads at all, right? We want to yeah. keep being able to wear our, you know, go as one of my clients said, commando. <laughs> sure, sure. Cope with yeah. that if we can. So, you know, um, especially these women who are postmenopausal, they're like, I just stopped getting my period. I thought I was done with pads, and now they're back to pads, and it's you know so frustrating. So stress incontinence is is different. So the other one we consider is like a nerve issue. Stress incontinence is more of a functional issue. Something's affecting the support under the urethra, yes. the tube that you pee through. And so what happens is if you cough, jump, sneeze, laugh, any kind of activity. Your 
you know, intestines and in what's in your abdominal cavity is going to push on your pelvis. So what happens normally is if the ligaments under the urethra are intact or that tissue is nice and thick because it's not postmenopausal or you've been using a product that's made it thicker and healthier, um, that'll give it support and will push up against your urethra and prevent you from leaking. So when you have stress incontinence, it means that either your tissue's thin, the ligaments are stretched out, the ligaments are, are torn from childbirth. Um, most of the time it's childbirth, but I have seen women who've never had children who've lift something heavy, sometimes a chronic coughs. Anything that's going to put a lot of pressure on the pelvis can damage those ligaments. So that it, that's a little bit more, it's a little bit more straightforward because we know what's causing that. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are things to fix it. Um, but it doesn't always have to be surgery. You know, going back to the, the products like Jolva and, or, or the hormonal creams, sometimes using something to regenerate that vaginal tissue and thicken it up can help. So that's, that's a great first-line therapy. And like you um, said, the pelvic floor exercises, I mean, we need to do them till we die. I mean, yeah, yeah, just because, so important. You know, they'll, give, they'll basically add to some of that support. I mean, muscle you know, around it you're not working out, what's going to happen to your muscles? They're going to thin out. So in your pelvis, you don't have, your pelvis is just a big giant open hole. You know, there's no bones, there's nothing there keeping it in other than your skin and your muscles and so, some ligaments. So over time, unfortunately, gravity takes over all parts of our body. So we just can't help that. So, you know, by doing those muscles, you kind of keep, you know, those exercise kind of keeps things a little supported and keeps it where it should be. Um, now, it's interesting what's kind of coming back in, in favor, especially with some of the issues we've all heard in the news uh, with some of the surgeries, which we'll touch upon later, is a very, very old treatment that's been around since ancient Egypt is uh, pessaries. So oh, yeah. pessaries are just support devices that are fitted for the vagina and you wear them in the vagina and they just hold everything up and, or put pressure on the urethra to keep it closed. Um, I tell people in ancient Egypt, I don't advise this, women used to put pomegranates in their vagina. Oh my gosh. And in Rome, they used to do potatoes. So I don't advise any of those things. Now, uh, Fascinating uh, though, right? So fascinating. Yeah, two, three years ago, um, there is an over-the-counter product now called Impreza. So Impreza is a tampon-like device. Um, I don't advise using tampons because tampons could absorb bacteria and there's a higher rate of toxic shock. Plus, you so, have tampon trauma with an already va oh, dry vagina, right? Just irritating. And the, bleach, as the bleaching of the, the – anything that's with the pads or the tampons that are white, it's bleached, and that can be very irritating to the tissue. Mm -hmm. um, the, so Impreza, okay, that's over the counter by, now. It's produced by Poise. It's it's mm -hmm. like a tampon. Um, it basically doesn't have anything absorbed, so you can wear it for long periods of time. The company will tell you not to wear it for more than six to eight hours because it really can be worn longer. But you know they're you know they they go they're going by the standards of what tampons are. So, but it doesn't absorb, so it doesn't hold in any bacteria. And the only complaint I have from patients is because of the vaginal dryness, sometimes getting it out can be difficult. So it, it is just like a tampon. It goes in, it mm -hmm. opens up. It does come in a trial pack with three different sizes, and you have to kind of try to see which one works works for you. But sometimes when the, the vagina is a little bit dry, it can make it 
more difficult to get it out. So using using the Jolva or mm -hmm. the other product, something to, to make the tissue more moist and that, that'll help with that irritation. Mm -hmm. um, and then we talked about the pet pessaries. There's, they come in so many different shapes and sizes that's, you know, a professional, um, gynecologist or urogynecologist can fit you for one of those. And then beyond that, well, there are actually going back, we'll go to another, another one that, uh, treatments that are non, uh, invasive. Yeah. There are a couple different companies that have, um, internal therapies that have been shown to help. They're basically, it's Kegel exercises, but with like a little bit of a kick and a little technology. One is called Intone. Intone, and these are things you have to either get um, prescription from, from your doctor. Intone is a device, and I hope I don't insult anybody because I don't know exactly how to describe this thing. It is a little bit on the large size. It kind of looks like a big vibrator. Um, and But what it does is it goes inside the vagina, and it has uh, – it's hooked up to a little handheld device, and it teaches you to go through your Kegel exercise and actually measures them. But it also has these little metal plates that provide a, electrical stimulation to that tissue. So the electrical stimulation also rebuilds that tissue. So, and then there's another one that's less uh, kind of scary looking called the Pericoach. And the peri and it's also Pericoach, it tends to be a little bit more cheaper. It's a smaller device that goes in the vagina and you do your Kegels, but it actually has an app so you can track your progress with the app. So it's kind of a little neat little device. That's fun. And then, and then beyond that, then you're, then you're talking about surgery. surgery. So um, what's the latest and greatest in surgery? Because... But when I was in doing my urogynecologic procedures, it was always the transobturator sling, which was the one yep. I loved because outpatient, super quick, you know, and, and that was good. Just prior to then also, because we were so concerned of mesh erosion, that's where I really started working yeah. with. Thank you, God, never had one. Uh, but I, you know, I started working with vaginal hormone therapy because that was just, okay, I do not want to have a mesh erosion. I want the best tissue to work yeah. with. So I started using vaginal testosterone, DHEA, topical Great. compounds and creating this preoperatively. And, and so that was, I think that was part of the reason with that great success. I'm curious now, what's the, what are you doing? What do you recommend for surgical approaches to stress generating incontinence? It's interesting. We're still kind of stuck where officially the sling is still considered the gold standard. Mm -hmm. So the slings have actually gotten smaller over the years. Um, the, the one that you talked about with transobturator was kind of like the second generation. The initial one was one that was very large. It's still used and it's still successful, but I think it's a little overkill. It, it was um, called a super pubic sling where it would actually go in through underneath the urethra and implant and come out on the abdomen. So they realized as they improved upon these things, they were trying to make them less and less and, and like invasive and less and less mesh because everybody has heard the, the mesh thing really kind of got blown out of proportion and I could do a whole lecture on why meshes aren't as bad, but I agree. If we can avoid mesh, avoid it. But there are times you just, you can't because you don't, a lot of times the ligaments are just not there and you need something to work with. But now there's mini slings and mini slings are about this big. So, um, 
you know, probably like maybe the length of like, like length of my thumb. They're very small and they're placed by making a small incision underneath the urethra and they're slid under the urethra and they basically reinforce the ligaments that are no longer working. Depending on what state you live in, they can be done as an in-office procedure. Um, in New Jersey, unfortunately, they are not approved as in-office procedures, but we do them in surgery centers and there's very little downtime. You know, you come in, it takes may it, really takes about 10, 15 minutes to put it in, but we usually, we schedule people for half an hour. Mm -hmm. um, wow, that's soreness. amazing. Yeah, there's some soreness associated with it. The My biggest problem I find is that patients feel really pretty good afterwards, and they want to go back to all their normal activities. And the problem with the sling is that it's you need to let it heal in place for eight weeks before you're going to see its full effects. Mm -hmm. you know, some people get it done and they're disappointed, like, I'm still leaking. It's too early. Right, it's you need that fibrous out, tissue to form around it. Yeah, it's got to yeah. like heal in place for it to work. So you won't know until about eight weeks or sometimes even longer. So officially, that's probably um, the gold standard. There is urethral bulking that's been around for years. doesn't work that great. Um, urethral yeah. bulking is we go into the urethra and we inject some sort of uh, material. Collagen. Like fatten, yeah, fattens up the... Um, the urethra. An interesting fact about collagen is collagen's off the market. Um, here's the interesting fact is that it was harvested from cows and the farmer who was supplying the collagen for that urethral product decided to retire. And so he stopped his farm and so that product went away and no one's picked it up so if oh anybody has goodness. a cow farm and you want to go into the urethral collagen business fascinating um, they are looking and this is undercover i'll probably get in trouble saying it but they are looking at potentially using some of the facial fillers mm -hmm. and developing um some of the fillers from wrinkles as as a, a bulking agent so that's what? one thing that's on the horizon i um, think things that are on yeah, I think yeah. it's important to mention because, you know, we just have to, you know, urogynecology is a special field. So for in the medical space, using these ingredients in, in different areas has to go through approval. But yeah. absolutely correct. Like I use the orthovisc for my G-shot procedures. I mean, hyaluronic oh, sure. acid, yeah. you know, yeah. and I think that would be a perfect bulking agent for the urethra yeah. too. You know, so things like that are, are fascinating to me. I love that. There's So things that are considered right now experimental that are being done and are having good success are lasers. So there's a number of companies that have late lasers or something called a radio frequency. Mm -hmm. So the way lasers and radio frequency work is that they internally heat the tissue and that heating of the tissue. Um, so radio frequency works by very fast vibrations yeah. and the vibration creates heat. heat. Lasers okay. light and that creates heat. So it penetrates the tissue and it basically triggers it to heal itself. So that's the future of medicine in general is that we don't want to be implanting things in people. We don't want to use these products. We want to trigger the body to heal itself. So there's a number of companies that are coming out. Um, I own a laser machine, which is great and doing wonderful. But of course, within I've had it for a year and there's something new on the horizon that's even better. So this stuff is going very quickly. And because it's going very quickly, 
it, these tend to be not covered by insurance. You can pay cash for them. Um, it's not that they're not approved. It's that insurance companies haven't caught up with the technology. The right. FDA hasn't caught up with the technology because those processes are, those application processes are very long. Um, another thing that I've seen, great, I have a colleague of mine in North Jersey who's doing stem cells. There is th yes. there's some yes. fascinating, fascinating research on stem cells. Yeah. Now, to me, it, all they do is they, they like take a small amount of fat. Unfortunately, a lot of us wish it was a lot more than they take, but um, it's just a small <laughs> amount of fat in the buttock area, and they process that fat tissue, and they're able to extract the stem cells. And um, my colleague that does it injects it underneath the urethra, and it basically is triggering your tissue to heal itself. Yeah. Um, there is a fascinating study, and this one I'm not, I can't quite understand it, um, where they're taking stem cells and injecting them into your vein, like giving you an IV of stem cells. And it's going through your whole system, and they're showing that people's incontinence is getting better from IV stem cells. So, yeah, I'd be interested in that, and that general rejuvenation process of stem cells, too. Yeah, so I think we'll bring yeah. that in on, on our next discussion as you get more into it. All you right. know, again, Sounds to emphasize, good. Dr. Betsy Greenleaf here is a specialist, a urogynecologist, a pioneer, the first woman urogynecologist in the nation, and, um, and just, as you can see, a wealth of information and a heart for her patients. So, um, Betsy, tell our audience where they can find you should they need consultation. Sure. I am now located at 108 Avenue of Two Rivers in Rumson, New Jersey. The number here is 732-263-7903. Um, it is a new practice, so just be patient with it. We're getting things up and running. The uh, website will eventually be through hackensackmeridianhealth.org. It's not up yet, but we're working on that. And, uh, and also you're going to have your pelvic floor store. I have to throw that in there yes. because, you yeah. know, it's a great thing to be able to offer a place that's recommended by your gynecologist for things for our pelvic floor. We didn't get to talk about yeah. pelvic pain today, but I've got to bring you back. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. I know we could talk forever. <laughs> I know. Thank so. you so much for being with us. And for our listeners, this is invaluable information. This is a good place to really understand your urge incontinence and stress urinary incontinence and what's going on. So be sure to give a review here in iTunes. If you're listening on iTunes, like us on Facebook, YouTube, and also share this information. So again, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf from New Jersey, thank you so much for being with us and thanks to all our listeners. Thank you so much for having me.